0: Good morning and greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. So I gave an introduction to separation in the last message that I preached here. And I had two points that I wanted to kind of draw us towards to start, to start with in the introduction. One of them was that being separated unto God is foundational to personal Christian victory, and the other one is that it is also a key to passing on faith. And I kind of finished up with the idea of how what values we're setting forward by what we're doing. And I used some verses in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to probably come back to these verses pretty often. I'd like to say them together this morning. All of us together. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Sorry, we had a mixture of New King James and King James there, didn't we? <laughs> I'll try to put it down in King James next time. How many of you have New King James? How many of you have King James? Oh, man. It looks like we're going to have a mixture either way. <laughs> oh, well. I think we're getting, I think we get the point. Maybe, maybe we can alternate between the two or something. Uh, the people have New King James do it one time and the people have King James do it another time. But the point that I want us to get from that this morning is the idea that this chapter that we call the faith chapter, there's there's something grounded in the lives of these people here in these verses that this is expressing that is part of what it meant to be a follower of God in the Old Testament. It has to do with promises. It has to be assured of has to do with being assured of those promises, embracing those promises, and living out those promises. So this morning, the title of the message I gave to you last week in the announcements called The Cosmic Battle. And I want to look at three things that are foundational elements of Christian separation. Now, as I thought about this thing of separation, I've been thinking about it, and I'm thinking about the lessons that uh, I teach at Bible school. They don't cover everything. And there's 12 lessons, and they just don't cover everything, and they can't cover everything. But I'm trying to build a foundation of thought process that will lead you to think about separation. And the first one of those That I want to talk about, first of the three that I want to talk about this morning is truth. Now, you've probably heard, or you possibly have heard, that the two pillars of the true church are non resistance and non conformity. But I want to kind of dispel that notion this morning. So I don't believe that those are the two pillars of the true church. And I'm going to give you another two pillars, and there's probably other ways you could think about it than pillars, but, and there's maybe better ways to think about it, but I'd like to think about the two pillars of the church as being truth and love, but well, what does that mean? What, is those two, what are those two pillars? So well, those two pillars are what support belief in God, or not, maybe not belief in God, but they support what the true church believes. And I want to say, and, and this is not totally the case because love is involved too, but separation arises out of truth. So separation is something that comes forth out of truth. Or if you had two pillars, on top of those two pillars you have a, you have a stones across the top. And so the truth supports separation. Maybe that's another way to say it. Well, what do I mean by that? Well... Truth separates from what is false. So if what is true is separated from what is false, then you automatically, by by making a truth claim, you automatically separate from other claims or you separate from what is false. And so by saying that we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, we're saying that other forms of gospel are not true. And so we are separating ourselves from them by making the truth that truth claim. And we believe that this is the word of God and that it holds the truth about life and about mankind. And I want us to think about, as we go through these lessons on separation, I want to think about the fact that separation that does not arise from truth in the sense of this word is not Christian separation. So there's, it's possible to be separate from the norms of society without being separate as a Christian. So if I decided to dye my hair neon green, I would be separate from the majority of society. I would be separate from the majority of the people in the world. I would be... A very small minority in that sense. But I would not be Christian, that would not make me Christian. And that would not be specifically Christian separation. Christian separation is what arises from the truth of God's word. And so as we think about separation, and and my desire as we go through these lessons is is to think about separation from a perspective of drawing from the truth. And as we draw from the truth, it generates a lifestyle, a manner of living and being that is separate from what the world is and what this book tells us that the world is. There's another way to think about it in relation to the truth and how it separates. So there's a uh, Ravi Zachariah tells the story about the time when he was in the Old Bailey courtroom in England, and he went in, he had took his family into the courtroom to observe the court proceedings and just to see the court, kind of a historic thing that he and his family were wanting to to see this courtroom. But while they were there there was a there was a case that was happening. There in the courtroom, and it had to do with with a man who uh, had abu- was accused of having abused some children and two two children, and so the as they were there, the um, prosecutors were laying out their case, and so they laid out their case about what happened, and then they were kind of captivated by the story and they were there listening to what was happening to the proceedings and and then the defense took the stand. And the defense made their case. And when both sides had laid out their cases, he said, we had no idea what the truth was. And he says, we walked out of that courtroom, we had no idea what the truth was. But God knew what the truth was. And so... The difference that the jury decided, whatever the jury decided would either mean prison or freedom for that man. But what about the truth of God's word? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So the truth makes us free. We believe that the truth makes us free. And so it separates us from bondage. So that's another way that the truth separates us. And if we live according to what is true, then it will separate us from what is false. It will separate us from what binds us. So what does the truth do? It shows us what is right to do. It shows us what is wrong. The things that we should not do. The truth also gives definition to our existence. So uh, I thought when I wrote that down, I thought, well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you go to the dictionary for for a definition of a word, you want to find out what the word means. We as human beings are very interested in the reason why we are here. That's our existence. The truth gives us definition to why we're here. It tells us why we are here. This book tells us why we are here. And so it separates us from reasoning about why we are here that's not true. It shows us why things happen the way they do or why things turn out like they do. And it guides us so that we can act properly in the world to get proper results. So if you If you do the right thing, you get the right result, right? The law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The truth shows us how to live properly in the world. And we can see this in the lives of people who don't live according to the truth, but when you don't live according to the truth, it brings chaos into your life. And so there's another place it frees us, another thing it frees us from. It doesn't just free us... From, from bondage in the sense of sin, but it also frees us from chaos. It orders our lives. So it gives us direction, a way to live. For a text, I'm going to use John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time there. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So I want to, first of all, pull out the word sanctify. The word sanctify means to make holy, which means to make pure, but it means more than that. It also means to separate from. Jesus lived without sin. So was Jesus ever sanctified? Yes. Jesus said that the Father sanctified me and sent me into the world. The Father set Jesus apart for a purpose. So sanctification means to make holy, but it also means to make pure, but it also means to set apart. So there's a separation that happens. And he's saying here, sanctify them by your truth. So the truth will set us apart. It will will purify us, but it will also set us apart. And it will set us apart for a purpose, just like Jesus was set apart for a purpose. We also are set apart for a purpose according to the truth. So the truth is going to be an active force in the life of the believer that will produce separation. Notice in verse 15, it says... I do not pray you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I thought that was interesting. That was in our, these verses were in our Sunday school lesson last week. And when I thought about the believer in the world, I thought about these verses. So it says, I I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil. So it's not a physical removal. Jesus wasn't asking, Jesus wasn't saying that this sanctification would be a physical removal. It would be physically separated from the world but rather that we would be kept from the evil of the world. So if you are a follower of Jesus, these verses make it very clear that you're going to be separate from the world. And that separation is going to be grounded in the truth. So I want to think about it in one more, one more way as well, and that's this. So this idea of separation is sometimes considered from kind of a negative perspective because it makes us different we don't particularly want to be different from those around us. But I'd like for you to consider that we will have to embrace the idea of separation if we really want to have the benefits of being a follower of Jesus. And what do I mean by embrace? Well, what I mean by that is that it's going to have to affect our attitudes and desires. So we won't be able to just say... Because Jesus says I need to be separate, I have to be separate. But rather we'll say because of the benefits of what it means to follow Jesus, because of what he has done for me, I want to be separate. So my attitudes and desires will be actually towards separation. I just wanted to, to bring out that aspect because I think we need to have that kind of an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Not just this thing of, I have to obey God, but rather, I want to obey God. The second thing I want to look at this morning is the two kingdoms. Jesus said, and the... Wait a minute, I was getting ready to say that just in those verses I read about the kingdoms, but, I, but they're, not, they're not in those verses in John 17. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he said that his kingdom is separate from the kingdom of this world. And those two spiritual kingdoms are clear throughout Scripture. So I brought up this idea from Hebrews chapter 11 that those verses that we read speak to the context of the Old Testament, the context of life in the Old Testament. And those people made it clear that they were looking for another country. And that other country wasn't Canaan. That other country was a city that God was building for them. It was based on the promises of God and yes Canaan became part of that to the old testament believers but the essence of the kingdom they were looking for was a kingdom of promise that God had that God had laid out to them and so that that context is in the scripture in the old testament so Jesus came and one of the first the first thing that he said in his ministry was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Jesus, other than the words Father and Son, the focus on the kingdom is the emphasis of Jesus' teaching. Like, I think Jesus says kingdom. Now, I don't know about I and me and my and some of those words, but we're talking about words that Jesus used. The word kingdom, other than Father and Son, is the word that he used the most in the Gospels. So I talk about the kingdom of God. I'm referring to both in the scripture, what is meant by, the, is said in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I found this interesting. The kingdom of heaven is only used in the book of Matthew. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is only used in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of God is used primarily in the gospels. It comes up very few times in the epistles and later on in the scripture. It's primarily a term that Jesus used. But it was the focus of his teaching. And there's different aspects to those kingdoms, to that that idea of kingdom. One aspect of that idea of kingdom is something that we are entering into, but it's also the idea of something that's entering into us. So things like the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's something that comes in to you. But there's also the idea of entering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was more concerned about getting heaven to us than about getting us to heaven. Jesus wants us to experience heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall ye eat, or what shall ye drink? Or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the contrast that I want you to pick up in those verses is, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And then, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. See, that's separation. The Gentiles seek this, but you seek this. And make this your first pursuit. Some years ago, I asked Jonathan Burkholder, it's probably been 10 or more years ago, I asked Jonathan Burkholder to preach a message on the two kingdom concept. And he listened to me, but he didn't listen to me. The title of his message was, The Two Kingdom Reality. And I like that a lot better. Because the two kingdoms are a reality. Reality they're not just a concept. And we need to understand this reality to understand the word of God. So I want to try to illustrate this a little bit if I can. So Jesus Jesus used this idea of the kingdom of God so often and then he taught about the ethics of this kingdom or the the right mode of living or the right mode of being within the kingdom. So imagine that, that there's a picture on the wall, and that picture is a picture of a landscape. <clears throat> I looked around the house a little bit, we must not like landscape pictures very good because I couldn't find any to bring along, not any that had much detail, not the kind of detail that I'd like in this landscape. What I'd like in this landscape picture would be something like a stream, uh, some woods, some flowers, some stones, some mountains in the background, a sunset, some clouds, so, you're getting the idea? A picture like that, a picture with all those different, maybe some wildlife. So, the kingdom of God is the picture, it's the big picture. The ethics that Jesus taught are the things in the picture, the images in the picture. And it's the body of things in the picture that make up the whole of the picture. So what Jesus taught, was teaching, was not particularly a mode of ethics. What he was teaching was the kingdom of God as a whole picture. And these are the ethics, these are the body of things that make up the picture of the kingdom of God. And without the picture, the big picture of the kingdom of God, those individual items lose their significance as a whole. They they aren't able to portray the picture to you. So let's say you pick out some ethic that Jesus taught. And you say, I'm going to live that ethic. If you simply focus on living that ethic, but on nothing else that Jesus taught, you will not display the kingdom of God. You'll not be able to. I'll come back to that here in just a little bit. God is ruler in the kingdom of heaven. Satan is ruler in the kingdom of this world. God wants to build us up. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy us. God is fighting for our good. Satan is fighting for our destruction. It was spiritual power that brought this world into existence. And it rules over the physical world. We're talking about the two-kingdom reality. We're talking about the fact that there are two spiritual kingdoms that are at work in the universe. And they rule over the physical. So if God is for our good and Satan is trying to destroy us, what makes the difference? Well, you hold the tiebreaker. You hold the difference. And we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. In the men's class, Joshua said to Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. So your choice is a spiritual tiebreaker. It's the difference. It's what makes the difference between whether you're going to be part of one kingdom or another. Now you might say, well, God's power is stronger than Satan's power, and we believe that that's true. But God doesn't force us. He invites us. And He will not violate our choice, our freedom of choice. If He violated our freedom of choice, we would not be free moral agents. And we are free to choose. And God's made it that way. And I don't have time to get into a lot of that, but but we wrestle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so in this conflict for our souls... Choice is a spiritual power that we have been given to engage in this battle. So if choice is spiritual and you have it, it's within you, then it rules over your physical being. What do you do that you don't choose to do? What you do, you choose to do, right? So choice is within you and it's controlling what you do. It's controlling your physical being. So I want you to remember that idea as we go on from here because we're going to eventually we're going to move into very practical aspects of this idea of separation. And and nested in our actions is a decision to take those actions. And it is a spiritual thing interacting with our physical bodies. And so the things that we do in relation to separation from so in relation to following the truth, I should probably say it that way, the things that we do in relation to following the truth are conscious or not consciously, but they are engaged with our will, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. They're engaged with our inner being and they're, they're spiritual in nature and they're affecting us spiritually spiritually. And I want us to remember that as we go into the practical side, because it can become easy as you start talking about practical things. It can become easy for us to start to say, well, that's an external thing, and the kingdom of God is about what's in your heart. And that's right. But there's an interactive thing that's happening between your heart and your body. And that interaction is important in relation to your Christian victory. And so I want you to remember that idea that your choices, your heart is controlling your body. And the things that you do are a reflection of what's happening in your heart. So let's go back to the idea of the big picture. So one of the things that I think is a weakness, and I see this weakness in myself, and I think is a weakness in us as human beings is we tend to be somewhat limited in our capacity to see this. We are limited in our capacity to see this big picture of the kingdom of God. And God speaks to us, and we praise the Lord for that, and we begin to see aspects of the picture as as we deepen our walk with God. We start to see more and more of this picture. I've thought about it sometimes like putting together a puzzle, like God gives us this outline, and then we find pieces through our discovery of him and we start putting in those pieces and as we put in those pieces we start to see the bigger and bigger display of what the what the kingdom of God looks like but our tendency our weakness is that you know maybe we get in the tree first or maybe we get in the stream first and so then we think that that tree or that stream is a really big uh, eye is a really big part of the kingdom of God because that's what we can see And so we really emphasize that. And the problem is then that we can become unbalanced in the big picture in understanding what encompasses the big picture. And we can start thinking, well, you know, if I fulfill this part of the kingdom of God, then I'm not so accountable for some of that stuff that I don't know. And we've become lax in our Christian experience, or we can become unbalanced, And that's why I praise God that we have the church. And the other thing we need to remember is that just because I'm doing good in one area doesn't mean that it frees me from another area. Maybe I'm doing good in separation in one area or following the truth in one area, but I'm not doing so good in another area. And just because I'm doing good over here doesn't mean that what God says on this other hand doesn't apply every bit as much to my life. What I'm calling us to is that we embrace the big picture of the kingdom of God and understand that our lives are accountable in the big picture. Not just in little areas where we do well. And I believe that living in the context of this big picture kingdom of God is vital to Christian living. There's one more subject, and it's tied in with both of these. It's the subject of good and evil. If you talk to people very often that don't believe in God, this becomes kind of a difficult discussion to have. And one of the first things you need to establish is what is good. And if you don't have some reference point for what good is, well... Everybody has a reference point for what they believe good is. If you don't believe in God, usually the reference point is yourself. Or some people say it's the group of people that make up the society. Well, if that's true, then in Nazi Germany, the society agreed that Jews were evil. Does that make it true? Does that make it good? Well, of course, people say, no, that doesn't make it good. Well, then, what is the truth about what is good? There's another way to think about it, and it's this. Do you wish that the world was good? Yes or no? Now, there there could be some reasons why you would say no. And, And one of the reasons why you would say no would be that if the world was If everything was good, then we wouldn't understand our lost condition, okay? But then everything wouldn't be good, because being lost isn't good. So we say, when I'm asking, do you you wish that the world was good? I'm asking, do you wish that everything was made right? We call that heaven, right? Well, God created the world to be good. In fact, he created it to be very good. And it was sin that marred that goodness. So evil is two things. It's an interesting study for you. If you want to know what sin is, go through the New Testament. And there's like five different things listed in the New Testament that are sin. It's a pretty interesting study if you want to do it sometime. But sin is the absence or omission of good. James 4, 16 and 17. And it's the violation of good, 1 John 3, 4. I'm not going to look up those references. They're both fairly familiar. So evil is the absence of good and the violation of good. So it's leaving out the good, but it's also doing the opposite of the good or the alternative of good what you deem to be the alternative of good. And the problem is that it's destructive to goodness. So if you go back to this idea of the big picture and all the the trees and flowers and everything in it, if you just could just like rip out one aspect of the picture, you would take away what the picture is. If you blocked part of the picture off so that it couldn't be seen, it would take away from what the picture is. That's what sin does to what is good so how can we know what is good and how can we move in that direction well i got my notes backwards what they ought to be thinking about it here as i'm as i'm saying it so i'll give you the second one first how can we move in that direction by acting according to what is true so by living out the truth we can move towards what is good And we can bring about restoration to what God created to be good by moving toward the truth. So as a believer, when you live out what is true, you're bringing restoration to the kingdom of God. You're bringing restoration to the picture that God created in Eden. We're not there yet. Let's keep going. In other words, we haven't fully demonstrated it. We have more to demonstrate. So how can we know what is good? So who sees the whole picture? God. And only God. Only He knows what is truly good because He sees the whole. So in this battle, in this cosmic battle, between these two spiritual realms that are ruling over the physical world and and operating in the physical world, what are you living according to? Are you living according to the truth? And part of our discussion, I really appreciated what the brothers brought out in Sunday school class. Part of our discussion was about what can we do when we're dead? And the response was, we can say yes to God from our dead, lost condition. But it came out that that means more than acceptance. It means surrender. Surrender and actually then living out what God directs. But I say to you, love your enemies. That's not easy, is it? But that's the way that God says, I will restore. That's part of it. That's one part of the picture. Love your enemies. And that's what Jesus is communicating in his message to us. The human ideal is what he's communicating, and he's saying, follow me. But the battle has to be won. It must be won. It has to be won on the spiritual level. It has to be won through your choice. Walking with God is how we win that battle. We must walk with God day by day. We must walk with God as he helps us to put those puzzle pieces in place to complete that picture. Being a separate people is not, I don't have this in my notes. Part of what I've tried to paint this morning is a picture that being a separate people is something that is powerfully positive in our world. Powerfully positive. And the opportunity to be engaged in that at a level where we can actually bring about something that glorifies God and enhances the picture that God wants humanity to be is just extremely powerful to me. And that's my desire as a follower of Jesus to uphold and build that picture for the rest of humanity. May God help us as a community, as brothers and sisters, to do that.